gatekeeper of sex. Gatekeeper of sex. I'm the gatekeeper. You are listening to Committed, an ongoing conversation about marriage, intimacy, relationships, and sex. I want to be the gatekeeper of sex. What is the gatekeeper of sex? Just tell me what you mean. I sort of made that phrase up. Well, I didn't make it up. It's a thing already. So let's be honest. It's a thing. I've heard it. I believe that the gatekeeper of sex really means that you are the person in your relationship that controls sex. Yeah, so the person who controls the sex in your relationship. And I see lots of clients where they have a mismatched libido. We hear that often. It's so normal to have mismatched libido in your relationship, meaning that one person has a certain level of libido, uh, sex drive. I do think that those two things are different, and we can go through my perspective on the differences. But another way that someone might describe that is, you know, your your level of wanting sex and feeling arousal in your body. And oftentimes one person has one level and the other person in the relationship is at a different level. And so it can cause a conflict when the person who wants more sex cannot get that from their partner, which means that that partner who doesn't want it as much is the gatekeeper. Why would you get into a partnership with someone who's not on the same level? Oh, well, that's a great question. I don't think that people do that knowingly. When you're in the, uh, I was going to say hormone. When you're in, I don't know. You're in the hormone. You're in the hormone. When you're in the hormones. (laughs) I've been in that situation, so I can totally relate. But that was like seven years ago. And ever since then, that's just like a prerequisite for me. It's like, I'm super high sex drive. I mean, sex almost every day, basically. Not a hard requirement, but like, this is how it's going to be. If you're on board with that, let's do it. And if she's like, uh, you know, once a week is good with me, I'm like, no, that's a hard no. So I think most people don't have these conversations. So I'll mm. throw that out there. Definitely they should. Most people don't. We've talked about this in one of our past episodes or multiple. You should always yep. negotiate what your relationship is going to look like as you're beginning the relationship and deciding whether you are going to go on the journey of attachment with one another. I think it's best to negotiate what you would want in your relationship, which also takes a great level of knowing oneself. And I also don't think that many people go into relationship completely knowing themselves. Bingo. Especially if you're really young, like you're still figuring out who you are. Also, you might not know if it's, you might not think it's okay to have that as a a need. Like, it might be unacceptable, depending upon where you grew up, uh, to say, like, hey, I have a high sex drive. I want to have a lot of sex. You might not think that's okay. So shame yeah, could be a part of it. Like, I'm not even going to bring this up. I think also what I was trying to say before and what came out was hormone, the honeymoon period. The hormone, the hormone period, the honeymoon the period. The hormone period, it, that could be another name for it. The honeymoon period, you naturally are often having lots of sex. Every time you see each other, you don't live together. 
who are still discovering, very curious about one another. I think that this absolutely can extend past the honeymoon period, but it also takes work and effort because in our relationships, we fall into the comfort zone of what is. We start to uncover certain things about each other that previously we looked at as endearing and now we look at as quirky or weird or annoying and those things are not as um, attractive anymore. But we have this honeymoon period where even if we're having the conversation around what our sex life might look like together and what we both want, the honeymoon period ends and things do often change. And when life starts to get in the way, because I don't think most people imagine, all right, so when this period is over, what's this whole thing going to look like? What is our sex drive actually going to be? What is our libido actually going to feel like? How much conflict are we going to have in this relationship that's going to keep us disconnected from one another, which then gets in the way of how much sex you're going to be having, um, also how busy your lives are, and just general you know, disconnection, exhaustion, children. There's so many factors. Yeah. And so basically you're saying after the hormone period, the honeymoon period, honeymoon, honeymoon, <laughs> honeymoon hormone period. I like both of those. Um, you know, two years, let's say two years into a committed relationship, things are going to settle down and there could be a disconnection potentially between the two partners. And one person is the gatekeeper. All right. Now what? So now you discover how it's actually going to be once that ends. And I think the honeymoon period can be six months. It could be three months. It could be six months. It could be a year. It could be two years. And now you settle into this place where your partner wants to have more sex than you do or vice versa. You want to have more sex than your partner. And then the question is, what do you do about that? And I have lots of people come to me in this dilemma. Mm, this is good. I want to hear all about this. Yeah. So it, it's quite a predicament, right? Because I never advise people to cross their own boundary and have sex with their partner when they don't want to. And so, right, there, that's like basic consent right? So understanding that that's your baseline. But what do you do when you're stuck in this pickle? Because now you're invested in this relationship with this person and maybe you got married, maybe you own a home together, maybe you have children and now you're not getting your needs met or your partner's not getting their needs met. So the very first thing that you absolutely can do, and this is what a lot of people do do, is I guess there's two parts and pieces to this. One is deal with the disappointment, which is a skill, right? Where your partner doesn't want as much sex as you do. And so you have to sit with the fact that you will supplement your sexual relationship with masturbation. If you, you know, maybe choose to open your relationship, but I also think that that is a far more complex conversation that should be separate from this. And then, you know, also as a third to to deal with, and that's kind of what I want to go into here, is how to discuss with your partner so that you can hopefully get on the same page and work through whatever needs to be worked through, right? Because it's 
rare that I come across a couple who one person is more invested in the sexual relationship than the other and that other person has no conflict in the game, meaning the other person doesn't want to have sex often because they have a problem with their partner who wants to have more sex, right? Maybe they're not feeling safe or secure in their relationship. Maybe there's lots of conflicts. Maybe there's lots of complaints. Maybe they're not getting enough emotional connection and that's why their libido or desire to have sex is lower. Um, So that is something that I work through with couples. And then there's there's also the piece where, no, I just don't want to have as much sex as you do. And that's really hard. All right. So your options are suck it up and deal with it, cheat on the other person basically, or communicate with them and see if you can come to some sort of negotiation. Essentially, I mean, I wouldn't say that, and I know you sort of meant this in a joking way, but suck it up and deal with it. The disappointment, dealing with disappointment is a very real thing and it's and it's important to be able to do. And I think in these situations, we have to weigh our options for ourselves. Like, does it make sense here to deal with the disappointment, right? Like, why is it that my partner is not wanting to have more sex with me? Is it because they've just had this, you know, I don't know, because we just had a baby and for the next six months, they're only going to want to have sex once a week. Like in that circumstance, maybe you do decide, hey, I'm going to deal with this for the next six months, even though it's not what I desire. I want more, but, you know, my partner's really tired and I'm going to deal with the disappointment around that, which looks like processing the disappointment and maybe sharing it maybe sharing it with yourself, right? Maybe going to see a therapist and processing how that feels and processing what comes up in you when you feel the rejection. Maybe it's journaling or finding some other outlets. Maybe it's increasing your masturbation practice and enhancing your masturbation practice and getting really fun with it. So there's options there for dealing with the disappointment. It's not just like shut up and sit down and pretend you're not (laughs) feeling what you're feeling. Of course. So, yeah, there's that piece. And then there's, you know, the having a conversation piece, which I always advise people to have a conversation. I think that lots of times those conversations can be quite frustrating because it's not always easy to come to a conclusion together and negotiate and get through to your partner, right? And something that made me want to even record this episode is that I currently, and I'll only speak on my half, right? Because I don't, I don't want to share my partner's private information, but for me in my relationship, I am the one with a higher desire and I get so much out of sex. Part of that is my trauma and the way that I connect and attach part of that is also may have come from that trauma, but it also is who I am now. And it's something that I just derive so much value in my relationship. And 
I really don't desire to change that. Like I don't desire to just deal with my disappointment that I want more connection in that way. And I want to count on it and I want it to be consistent. I just don't have a desire to have that change for me. Like I'm not, I don't know. And maybe I will down the road. Maybe I'll say, you know, it doesn't have to matter as much as it. But I went on to specialize in sex and relationships for a reason. And I got so much positivity out of it that I believe in it and I, I value it and I get so much out of it. So, so what do you, what do you do? Cause it's, I'm trying to imagine the conversation. Hey partner, I want more sex. I need that dick. I need that pussy. Why can't we have more of it? Like, what do you recommend? How do you broach the subject? How do what do you tell your clients? So there's going to be different feedback that I give for each couple, reasonably so, and each person, because I have the, the very first thing that I'm doing in any interaction with my clients is really understanding them and like together and each partner separately and exhibiting my understanding of what they're going through, whether that's to the person who does not want any more sex and is has reasons for that, you know, usually it's pretty understandable why someone would want or not want something or be struggling with something like I personally find it fairly easy to connect with my clients because they're humans and they make sense. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like that might not be working for your partnership, but this makes sense to me. I get that mm. for you. Right. And I'm never giving specific directive of like, this is what you should be doing. Unless they're asking me, like, what do you want me to do? I'm going to do what you want me to do. And it's not usually in any sort of decision making around like how they should go about their sex life. It's more, I'm working to understand them. So that's the first step. And that's honestly probably 50 to 75% of what I'm doing. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, they are going home and they are making a decision or reevaluating a decision that they've made. I think also we talk about the consequences. So, okay, you're here and your partner's here. So what does that mean for your relationship? And are you willing to live with those consequences? Are you willing for your partner to be frustrated half of the time that you hang out with them? Or are you willing to be frustrated yourself? Like, is that okay for you, right? Because I have said to people before, is there any way, shape, or form that you would want to look at opening your relationship if the other partner in your relationship was agreeable to that or curious about that at all? And a lot of times I get a hard no from people. Nope. I just want my partner to give me what I want. And it makes it tough. It makes the probability of that partner having to deal with their disappointment higher because if they're not willing to explore and see what their other possibilities could be, then, you know, there's more of a narrow choice set, I guess you could say. I'm curious, what, what percentage of partners, the lower sex drive partners, um, or sorry, the higher sex drive partners are willing to sacrifice their desires 
It's interesting that you say that. So I can't speak to percentage because I would really have to look at all of my clients over time and understand that. But what I will say is that lots of people say that they're not willing to do it, but then they do it for years. Yeah. They're like, I'm not willing to live this way anymore, but then they keep living this way. But they keep living it. Um, Yeah. They just go on. So it's because it's also fairly complicated to say, okay, let's, you know, maybe open your relationship up. Because when we think about it, especially if you have children, if you don't have children, it makes it easier because you can just really take care of yourself and your partnership. I always want people to do it the right way. So if anyone was ever looking at opening their relationship, both partners would have to be agreeable to it or at least understanding of it and understanding that, you know, the consequences that we're not going to be together if I can't get this need met type of thing. Most of the time it really does not come down to that. And I think that a lot of it has to do with our societal pressure around having a monogamous relationship as the standard. So it doesn't mean that it's right, but people are not as open, especially the people that I'm working with, to like exploring other relationship structures. You know what I mean? Right. Um, that That's kind of reserved for, you know. People in California. People in California. Yeah, absolutely. I think. I, I didn't want to say it, but you said it, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, people are kind of willing to, yeah, live with that. And so when I, but when I do ask, you know, is there any opportunity to, ex- to explore and have a conversation too, right? Just if we have a conversation, it doesn't mean anything. But what I was going to say is I think that it's very challenging to actually do that if you have kids, right? Because your life is set up around work, home life, children. It doesn't feel good to think about for a lot of people leaving their home and their spouse to go have sex with someone else or have sexual interaction, have a relationship with someone else when they know that, you know, you're often picking and choosing, like, what am I going to, what am I going to prioritize here? Right. And so it comes off as very selfish. And I think that that really needs to be said, which is why I said it, because it, it does come off as that, right? You know, say it's say it's the husband and wife schlepping around taking care of their three kids and, you know, the husband's just got to get his rocks off. And so he's like going out with another partner. Like it does look extremely selfish based on a lot of times the reasoning for why the wife isn't interested, right? Sure. But if... If it's the case where the wife has reasons why she doesn't want to have sex more frequently with her partner, then we're really looking at repairing that so that we can try to get that out of the primary relationship rather than going to this place. If we're going to this place, I want to make it very clear, both partners are like, yeah, there's nothing to fix here. We just don't want the same thing and we're good with it, right? But it's just most often that's not the case. It's that one partner has a problem with the other. And so if the partner who has a higher libido sex drive desire goes outside of the primary relationship, the other partner is going to have a ton of resentment if they have problems with the sex life to begin with. So what I really like to see, what the appropriate way to really do it is, having a very like secure foundation of your relationship, having a healthy sex life that looks good to both partners within that partnership. 
And if you still have a partner who has a higher desire, then both partners are agreeing, yeah, this makes sense. Like this makes sense for us, right? Um, So, but I I definitely hear from a lot of partners, no, I don't want my partner to go outside the relationship. I want to figure out how I could increase my desire for sex, how we could have more sex to kind of harness that within our relationship. And I definitely want to do that first because we want to, we don't want someone, a couple that has issues to then just break off and say, you know what, we'll just have sex with other people because it's not working. It's going to cause more issues in their relationship. But so I think that having the conversation and it will be most likely multiple conversations that you're going to have together with your partner about kind of coming to an understanding of what's going on for the two of you. Like what is behind the higher level of desire for the higher desire partner? And what is behind the lower level of desire? And how can we figure that out together as a team to you know, come to a conclusion that feels more comfortable for both of us? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it just sounds like a a lot of these issues could be avoided if this was all negotiated before the partnership began, you know, because like humans are sexual animals. We need we need water, we need food, we need sex, and if someone's on a mismatch, that's just going to lead to resentment down the road and a lot of infidelity at some point. So, I mean, maybe. So, I think that it definitely doesn't always lead to infidelity down the road. Not that infidelity is not common. But I think that, you know, there there's more to it. Like there are many partnerships where, yeah, they're just not having a lot of sex and both of them are just like, you know, yeah, we should be having more sex. But I think kind of going back to the origin of the relationship and what I was sharing before, it is really hard to come to the, those negotiations while you're in the honeymoon period of your relationship. So like, yes, yeah, some of those things are going to stand. I mean- I'm the type of person who came to my relationship and very much from the get-go was like, I'm laying it all out on the table. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is where I will go to if I don't get those things. And I will not want to stay in this partnership if I can't get those things. And then I held true. So then today, years later, I'm still in the same spot of like, yep, I still feel the same exact way about things that I said, right? But I think that that's not the case for a lot of people. Yeah. But I also think that most people don't have these conversations. So I urge anyone who's listening to be really thoughtful as much as possible around the partnerships that you're getting into because we can't estimate exactly what's going to happen and what's going to change. People change over time. The things that people want change over time. But I think what you first negotiate, it does like get modified as you grow and figure out, oh, this is actually what this person can reasonably give me. So, and I think also maybe it's hard to believe like, oh, you know, when I came into my relationship and I'm like, my like base level bare minimum for sex is like every other day. So like I want to be having sex three to four times a week. Five is great. That's fine for me. I'm certainly tired some nights, but if I don't get that type of connection in my relationship, I'm just a crazy person. Like, I just don't feel good. I don't, I feel lonely. And like I said, some of it has to do with my trauma, my attachment trauma. And 
that's really hard for me. But I think also what I've learned about trauma over time is that, you know, people who experience trauma and and maybe this type of trauma and this type of attachment style that I have may not change like a great deal. Like this may persist, you know, and for me, I've kind of come into acceptance of like, this is who I am and what I need. So while I, a lot of my clients are like smiling or smirking at me and it's a lot of the husbands when I, when I share like, yeah, I like to have sex every other day and their wives are sitting there like, oh God. And I'm like, yeah, yep. Just love it. Horrible response. Oh, God. Well, I think it's different. I think we, in our heteronormative society, we see that men are more so very much, you know, have the higher sex drive and are confident in sex. Because, like, societally. Is that true, though? Like, in my experience, women have incredibly high sex drives. Well, like, We've mentioned so many times you live a different lifestyle, so I, you encounter different types of women. But I I do think based on our history, like when we really look at it, boys are taught to be messy and dirty and crazy and have addictions. Like that's acceptable, right? And um, and that you'll be g- generally successful. Like you'll be able to take care of yourself. That's not going to be a problem. You'll make enough money. You can live on your own. You really don't need anyone, right? But then women are taught that we need men in order to survive. Right. And I wish this wasn't true, but we're taught to like cover up and be appropriate and don't be a slut or a whore because if you have a high body count, then you're not going to be as valuable to your partner, right? And so when you receive this messaging and it's hammered into you over time, whether it, you know, it a lot of it doesn't come from like our family of origin. Some of the religion pieces of it do. But like it just comes from society, right? We see magazines yeah. and we judge and we're and and we're trying to measure up to these women who have huge breasts and tiny waists and like we're trying to replicate that because that's what we're told we need to be. But if men are 10 or 20 pounds too heavy, that's no problem and they're not really judged for that. I don't know about that. I was in a Nike store the other day and I noticed in the female section most of the mannequins were plus sized. But if you go to the male section, every single male mannequin was ripped and muscular. And I was like, interesting. Women are causing an uproar. Yeah. Now Victoria's Secret's going back and saying, hey, we're, we're not doing woke anymore. We're, we want skinny, you know, traditionally. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Did you see that? That's in the news recently. The whole 300 pound Cosmo model thing is over. Like they're not, because it's not selling and it's also promoting type 2 diabetes. But this is an entirely separate discussion. So, anyway, in summary, in summary, it sounds like from what we just discussed in the last half hour, know thyself, like know your sex drive, know your libido. And if you're 21, you might not know that. So maybe not get married when you're 21. Um, Two, Be confident and comfortable with owning your sexual desire and communicating that with your current or potentially future partner. And then three, communicate, communicate, communicate. Be comfortable with communicating with your partner. Yeah. And it's it's unfortunate that I don't have a perfect answer. I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this episode hoping for a perfect answer. But I think the real question is, are you willing to stay in your partnership or not, right? Because you always have the option to leave. You're not stuck, right? Even if you're married. I don't advocate for divorce by in any way, shape, or form. 
But you can get divorced. You can leave a relationship and find someone that is more aligned with you if you have gone into it very misaligned, right? Because there are extreme situations. But also for the most part, we're humans. And if it's not one problem, it's a different problem. And so like pick your poison almost. Like what are you what are you willing, right? There is a solution for most things, for probably everything. You just may not like the solution. And I think that your greatest chance, your greatest chance of having success in that current partnership is going to be to help your partner understand you and work to understand them, right? Like what's going to help you want to have more sex with me? What what is the best case scenario to have more sex in our relationship? Or or even for the other partner to say, what is the best case scenario for you to not need to have sex every single day? Like, can we replace two, three of those days with a great masturbation session? Can we do mutual masturbation? Can you take some time in the bedroom alone for yourself and pleasure yourself and set it up and I'll just leave you alone? Um, do you want me to watch you masturbate, you know, two nights of the week? There are options, right? There are options that don't have to include going outside of the relationship, mm-hmm. but- it is hard, so I do empathize, and I care about this topic very much as it affects me as well. Yeah. And so, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. That was really cool. Yeah. All right. Talk later.